My guest on this week's episode of Susan Search is Elizabeth Rule, SEO analyst and account manager at Sterling Sky. Elizabeth is an up-and-coming conference presenter. She will be speaking at Local U coming up April 26th in Dallas, Texas. She is also great on podcasts and webinars, and she is a must-follow on Twitter at the terribly impressive Twitter handle, OwnYourSERP. Elizabeth has a background in SEO and PBC. I'm going to start our conversation talking about how having an interdisciplinary approach to digital marketing helps her get more value for her clients. We'll also have a wide-ranging conversation about local SEO. How should businesses get reviews if they're in an industry that doesn't generate a lot of reviews naturally? How does Elizabeth approach content creation for local businesses? What are some telltale signs that a competitor is spamming Google? I'm going to ask Elizabeth these questions and many more. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Elizabeth Rule. We'll talk about local service ads. She'll explain why businesses should not stuff keywords in their business name on GBP. And we'll spend a little time ranking the best pizzas in New Haven, Connecticut. Elizabeth Rule, welcome to Susan Search. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on. One of the things I wanted to talk about first is, unless my research is incorrect, you are a newly accredited product expert on the Google Business Profile Product Forum. This is a big deal uh, for people in our industry. Tell our audience about the product expert community and what sorts of things you guys work on. Yeah, so you're right. I am newly accredited. This is my, December will be my third month being a gold product expert. And it's just so much fun to be able to see kind of what goes on behind the scenes at Google, getting to work with the community managers um, that help the support teams at Google there's a tons tons of support teams at Google that do so many different things. So they kind of help liaison the issues that we see as local marketers with Google Business Profile. And the product experts also help business owners who are having issues with their profiles. So as you can imagine, there's tons of different issues um, that these business owners are having, and they're not as technically savvy or like in the know about how to operate a Google business profile as we would be. So we volunteer our time to help them understand the guidelines, help um, get their issues escalated to the community managers and support teams if necessary, and just really advocate for the Google business profile product as a whole. Awesome. Well, you're, you're right. I can only imagine what comes across your desk, but I, you know, what, what I thought we would start our conversation talking about is you having expertise in PPC and SEO. So yeah, many people get really into one discipline and then they go deep in that discipline. They might be a, you know, a niche, like a technical SEO or something like that. You're, you're really interested in both uh, mm -hmm. and specialize in both. That sounds awfully hard. Why do you go through all that grief? Well, you know, I'm just a masochist. I love working with Google because it gives me problems every single day. Like there's not the same issue I run into um, often. It's always something different, especially with the small businesses and medium to large local businesses I work with. Like I started off working with a lot of small local businesses in Connecticut. And mm -hmm. one of the things I noticed working on SEO is, and this was a couple years ago before ads like completely took over this the SERP landscape I was noticing just less and less clicks to their websites and I'm like all right well there has to be something else we can do to get these businesses more clicks more leads and it, it turned out it was paying Google to be at the top 
of the SERP, which is really, I guess, kind of what Google wants. They they want you to have to pay to play most of the time. According to Cambridge Dictionary, um, so, oh, my phone just started talking to me. So I decided to dive into paid ads because it was, it's such an ingrained part of the SERP landscape. You can't ignore it. You can't just do SEO most of the time for competitive industries be, because you're missing out on a ton of clicks that unfortunately you do have to pay for. That's one of the gripes I was encountering with small businesses. They don't have the budget, which is um, unfortunate. But then as I moved into working with Sterling Sky with bigger clients that span um, the United States and Canada, like tons of locations, they are willing to pay to play. So it allowed me to get more into the um, Google Ads platform, find out more features that the small businesses I had been working with weren't um, able to access. And it's just, I like having both understanding both disciplines because they're very different, but the search terms are always the same. Like a user is searching something, they're either going to click an ad or they're going to click organic. And I like knowing that I could be in either spot. Yeah. You made me me remember something. So uh, I interviewed Heather Fiziak a long time ago. She's a uh, big fan of like interdisciplinary approach. Mm-hmm. She has these teams that do uh, a bunch of different things. Basically what she noticed was that writing ad copy and writing title tags and meta descriptions are very similar exercises. Yeah. Not a huge difference between it. So I, I suppose a question is something like this. Do you, do you think there's more overlap between the two disciplines that many of us care to think of? Like we're doing kind of the same things a lot of the time. They just are called different. They just have different names for the tactic. Yeah, I think there is a ton of overlap. Um, the one learning curve is learning the Google Ads platform. Yeah. Like, I think one of the biggest learning curves for SEOs is learning how to edit WordPress sites, edit different CMS platforms. Um, because if you're an SEO, you want to be able to get in there and just make the edits yourself and not have to go through a dev. So that's a learning curve that is replicated on the ad side having to figure out how to use the Google ads platform and how to set up campaigns, um, how to set up your keyword structure when you're doing search ads, like how am I going to set up my campaigns to target the various keywords and services that I want to go after. Um, And then once you figure that out, it is a very similar game. You want to figure out the keyword, the money keywords that are going to get your client the leads they need to produce a good uh, ROAS. And it's, it's harder, I think, with Google Ads because you're actively spending money every day. Whereas with SEO, they're not necessarily spending money every day. They're paying a monthly retainer for your services or whatever. But it's easier to show a ROAS when you're not actively paying per click. Right. Well, just as, just as it's important, do you think you get better at doing one by doing the other? Like I could see some examples of like PBC allows you to A-B test copy really. Easily. That's mm-hmm. that's hard to replicate in SEO. Um, you can get real data about keywords. You know, basically, do you think you become a better SEO because you spend time in PBC? I like to think so, but saying that, I don't think that SEOs that don't do ads are any worse off. Um, especially if they're in good communication with their ads team, if their company does ads. Like one thing, um, 
most people know about Sterling Sky is that we love to test stuff. Like Joy is all about testing, SEO testing. And that's something we replicate with the ads as well. And we try our best to keep our ads team members um, in communication with the SEO team of like, okay, this is working really well. Like this, for, for example, image extensions. Image extensions are becoming more and more popular for ads. Like they're showing a lot more often. Um, so we're testing like which images work best for the ads. Like what are the better click-through rates we see on certain images that we can replicate for SEO because the SERP is getting so much more visual by the day that if you're not using images and um, infographics in your SEO strategy, you're kind of missing out. And that's something we've seen on the ad side for a while with image extensions. So that's like one example. Um, but I, I do think it helps understanding both disciplines. Um, but it is hard to keep like a really laser focused expertise in both. Like I will say that I'm I'm more of a like local SEO Google business profile person these days. Having been promoted to gold product expert, I'm like okay. I need to kind of focus more on that than ads, but I, I really do try to keep up to date as much as I can. I love it. I, if you'll humor me, I got one more question about ads. Oh yeah. But probably I may have more. We'll see. Uh, but no, the, the one thing that it just occurred to me is there's so many more ad formats now than there ever were. Yeah. So I can remember when like ad extensions came out and that was a big deal. Now it's like there's LSA, there's map ads, there's even niche ads like, VLAs or vehicle vehicle listing ads mm -hmm. for car dealers, you know, it's hard when you're working with these small businesses, because like you said at the beginning, like they don't have a lot of money. No. They don't have a bottomless pit of money to just like try every single kind of ad format. So how do you prioritize in a world where you can like advertise seven different ways? How do you kind of make decisions about what to prioritize with a client's budget? If that mm -hmm. makes sense. That, that makes total sense. And that's one of the hardest things to do. I typically lean towards search ads because those are keyword based. You know what the person is searching um, and you can go after those bottom of funnel searches and you can go after more middle funnel too. If you want to just generate more traffic to your site, get people into like a remarketing bucket. So it's a little more straightforward with search ads. Um, but like the new, one of the new campaigns, like the new campaign everyone's kind of buzzing about is Performance Max, right. which utilizes all of Google ads um, campaign types. And we have no control over where our ads are being shown. Exactly. And who really, like we give Google as much information as we can about the audiences we want to target uh, using that ad copy to help Google understand like what we're trying to do. But I find that the performance ad, the performance max ads do work well if you're able to tell Google the conversions that you want to go after, which can also be very hard to do if, say, your client isn't paying for call tracking, if their website isn't set up that well. So the contact forms aren't um, reporting in Google ads or Google Analytics well. Like there's a lot of ways that can go wrong. Um, but if you are able to report your conversions, I find that the performance max ads work well at a very low cost per click, but you have to monitor them because 
if you give Google control, they're going to, you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. And we see that time and again with like um, your daily budget. Google's like, oh, I can go over the daily budget, but you won't spend more than this in a month. And then you see you spent like twice your daily budget in one day because Google Google thought that's what was going to get you the most conversions. And it's not always right, but that's a good way to get your ads onto multiple different networks like Gmail, YouTube, Display, and Search without spending too much. Because if you have all those different campaigns, it's probably gonna cost more. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you're throwing everything into that black box and you don't really know what's going on, which is pretty scary for both yeah, the yeah, business yeah, owner yeah. and the ads person. No, I can't. That's a, that's, a, that's a great answer. So, you know, shifting gears, I saw this, this webinar it was sponsored by duda that you did with ben fisher and another guy whose name saves me but basically what you guys were doing was a local seo audit on a real business so yeah you notice something that i see a lot where review everyone kind of who follows local seo knows reviews are really important the quality the quantity but there are some some industries where it's just hard to get reviews like if you're a i don't know like you're dry cleaner not that many people are gonna review you Restaurants get a lot of reviews, you know, for those hard, those industries where it's hard to get reviews, it's not simple. What suggestions do you have? What recommendations can you give them to generate more reviews for a hard to get reviews industry? That's a great question. Um, One of the industries I see it's really hard to get reviews in is insurance. And yeah so we have a couple insurance clients and what we recommend they do it's labor intensive on the business's end but you gotta call those people you gotta text them you gotta email them and say hey if you wouldn't mind give us a review you can't incentivize them can't say get a review get 20 dollars off but you can just gently encourage them through different points of contact to leave that review and tools like gather up are like invaluable for those businesses that do not have the time. And then the other thing you can do, if you're already using gather up, you're contacting people, you're still not seeing like the real review volume you want. You can incentivize your employees and your technicians that are actually contacting the customers. So say a tech goes to a house, um, and they know that they're going to get like, I don't know, like a $10, $20 bonus if they get a review from that client. They're more likely to actually get that review for you on Google. So I always say uh, incentivize your employees. And particularly for an insurance client we work with, it, it was like night and day when they stopped doing that employee incentivization. Um, We're like, hey, what happened to your review volume? It kind of like went downhill the last few months. He goes, oh, yeah, I stopped giving them my employees that um, chance to win like a $50 gift card. I think he was doing. And we're like, you need to do that again because you had like a great like trajectory of reviews month over month. They were all legitimate. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, I can continue to do that. Like, that's great. And so as the SEO, you need to remind your businesses to do that too, because sometimes they're like, oh, I don't know why I'm doing this. And it's really helping on your end and they stop and then you're like, oh, what happened? So good communication overall. 
I love that. You can incentivize the customer, but you can incentivize the mm -hmm. staff to go out and get them. I, I like that a lot. So yeah. in the same webinar, uh, this will bring up a topic we are contractually obligated to ask every local SEO about spam. Um, and so I have to shift to My that, that topic. Um, in the same webinar, you were looking at a business who's a competitor of the, the, the company you were auditing. So the competitor was like not a real bit. You, you, you did a few mouse clicks and all of a sudden we can see there's no way that a business is, is occupying the space where this, uh, this map is. Um, you know, there's kind of like a two part question here. You're in here every day. You're a gold level product expert. It's easy for you to find out this stuff, but what are some telltale signs that a GBP, a GBP, I hate this <laughs> business profile is fake. Like it just doesn't exist. It's a, it's a made up business location. And what should a business do if a competitor is faking that they had a location? It's not even a real business. Yeah. So the first thing I always do when a business has its address showing, and like I did on that webinar, um, is check street view and see if there's signage at the location. Because if there's no signage, and especially if it's a residential address or somewhere that like no business is actually going to be, or a post office um, where there are PO boxes, that's your first sign that they are not a legitimate business. A legitimate business with the address showing that actually has customers coming to their business to do face-to-face -face services is going to have some signage. Um, and if they don't, sometimes Google, especially residential addresses, Google will still allow them to have a profile because maybe they have some other type of information online, like they are registered to their home. Um, but the second thing I would do is take a look at their website and you can even call their phone number and see how they answer. Like if they do answer with the business name, they're probably a real business. If it's just some guy's voicemail that has no information on the business, they don't say the business name, it might be an illegitimate business. Yeah. Um, the website right. too, if it's like a very, it's like one page website with just a contact form, no information, no about us page. They have some like weird logo that's like clearly made in Photoshop. Again, that might not be a real business. It might be a lead generation um, listing with a fake website. And then also I would look at um, the business name itself. Like it does have a lot of keywords in it. Is it very keyword stuffy or is it like a legitimate name that like if I do a search for that name, a bunch of other um, citations are going to show up like a Facebook, um, a Yelp, like they have a bunch of other citations like Google won't necessarily care how many citations they have, but it's a good way for you to understand like, okay, this business actually exists. It's been around for a while. And then finally look at the reviews. Um, if they have a lot of reviews that seem to have come in within the last month because Google will say like new one week and sometimes we'll say a month old and then you'll see like up to like years old. If they have like a ton of reviews coming in within like a month, that's just like not feasible for a business to be able to get that many reviews in such a short time. Take a look at the reviews and see, oh, are these all legitimate? Are they all 
like posted from seemingly real users what are they saying in the reviews is it plain english or is it does it look like it may be translated by like a non-english speaker to see if those reviews are fake and if they are fake reviews and all the pieces line up then you can submit a redressal form to google with the business listing all your information you want to give google as much information as possible they're not going to do the sleuthing for you like you need to do it for them and then if that doesn't work you keep submitting it because i find a lot of times that it'll take two or three redressal submissions before action is taken by Google. Um, so don't give up just because the first form doesn't work. Unfortunately, the first form rarely works. Yeah, persistence pays off. Well, you mentioned it, like it's this thing where you see a bunch of keywords in the business name. Mm -hmm. uh, it's amazing how well that works and it's annoying how well that still works. It uh, is very annoying. Yeah, I, I, like annoying when you see a competitor outrank you by putting keywords in their business name. So one obvious question would be, uh, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. Like the, the penalties for this are minor. It's a competitive world. Why shouldn't businesses put keywords in their business name? What, what's what's stopping them? Because it's against the rules. Don't do it. Yeah. yeah. But like in this reality, is there isn't anything stopping it except like. Google may strip those keywords from your business name because it's not anywhere else online. Like Google constantly is changing uh, listing information based on sources they have online. So we don't know what those sources are, but if like you don't have the keyword anywhere else online, it's probably going to get removed at some point. Um, and two, it, you're probably not going to get suspended over um, having keywords in your business name, like Google will just take them out or they won't do anything about it. Like we see constantly, like all these listings, right. keywords, nothing's getting done. They're not getting suspended, but Google support won't help you with issues unless your profile is in compliance with the guidelines. And if they see, oh, you have a ton of keywords in your name that aren't part of your business name, they won't give you support. So that's one yeah. way that we tell clients like, I know you wanna do this, but either do it the right way or don't yeah. do it at all because support won't help you. You're kind of putting yourself at risk for possible suspension, though it's unlikely they're gonna suspend you because of that. Yeah, well, very interesting. And then the last thing, uh, question about content. So your, our, our mutual friend, Carrie Hill, had an interesting post yeah. on the local blog that was about changing the way agencies approach content in 2023. So mm -hmm. whether we like it or not, <laughs> the typical situation at many agencies is some agreement that works sort of like this. Like you're going to get four blog posts a month with 500 words a piece. And we'll do that forever and ever. Uh, Carrie's point was kind of to critique that and yeah. uh, content as a deliverable model. Uh, she, she didn't think that's right. So, you know, I think she's right. If, if you watch everything that Google is doing, this sort of content, you know, might not work very well in the future, even if it's working today. Uh, the, you know, the problem is a lot of small business websites, when you inherit them, they don't have a lot of content, right? They, they don't, they're very small sites. They don't have important pages. They don't have a lot of like informational content. So there's a challenge. We gotta, we gotta create the content that the model doesn't, doesn't work right now. I think we can all agree that we could do better than 
uh, 500 word articles that nobody is going to read. So, you know, when you consider content for small business websites, what sorts of things are you considering? How do you see this evolving in the, in the coming year? Mm -hmm. So if a business doesn't have a lot of content, you have to create it, like you said. So there probably will be, there will be content deliverables you're going to give your client, but to Carrie's point, and she had a great article about it. I think all her points were hundred percent on the mark. Um, you have to create content that's going to be valuable to users and to your customers. So whether that be, maybe it is, probably isn't, but maybe it is for 500 word articles a month and you can give that to the client and they're great. You spend a lot of time optimizing them, getting questions in there from clients um, to make that content valuable. But more likely it's going to be longer format content that you're maybe going to spend more time on than you typically would have in like um, the SEO models that we've been using for years. Like, okay, I've written four or 500 word articles. Well, that's great, but you could have written like two 1000 word articles and spent more time on them, like over two months, say. Like, so you're technically delivering half the word count content you might've, but you're delivering double the value because this content is gonna perform better. And then maybe after two or three months of doing that, you spend a month optimizing the content you've already written. So you have say three more pages of content on your site, but you're spending the month optimizing and making that content work as best as it can. Because hopefully you're starting with the most important types of content for your site. Like say you didn't have service pages for every one of your services you do. You're going to want to spend a lot more time on those pages, making sure they're like up to par with what customers are looking for, answering all of their questions um, on that page, then you would want to spend on a, a blog piece, especially right away. Like I wouldn't recommend a business with no content on their site start writing blogs right away. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I think the other thing, I, I, I can't take credit for this. I had a conversation with our director of SEO, Dane Seville, yesterday, and he he used to be in the content world. He's, mm -hmm. you know, kind of moved over to SEO. But one of the things he said that was really interesting, he's, he's, he's against this word count kind of thing. Like basically he said, I was doing the same thing I'm doing here, shooting on 500 word articles or whatever. And he was like, well, sometimes 500 words or 400 words is the amount of content that mm -hmm. would answer that query. And that's the yeah. right thing. And sometimes it's 5,000 words. But the point is, to create the page is going to be the best page on the internet for that topic. Yeah. With word counts, you get artificial. You're going to, he's like, you're just going to get writers creating more adjectives, you know, re repeating the same sentence three times in different ways. Um, you're going to get things that are just like artificial and fluff because yeah. they want to get to the word count. I think the word count thing is a miss. Like you, you should, you should just avoid that that and like whatever is the most comprehensive number of words is the right way to do it. Is it, yeah. is it gel? Yeah, absolutely. I think too, it's important to just have a dialogue with your writers because a lot of writers I know, they would like to have like a word count 
not like a hard number, but like a range that they can hit. Because if you're just telling them, oh, okay, right, as much as you want about this topic and make it as informative as possible, they're going to be like, oh, my God, like, what do I do? How do I start? So you don't want to just throw a bunch of stuff at your writer and say, like, have at it, like, do whatever you want, make it like a, a million words, like, that's not helpful for them. And they're the ones producing the content. So you really have to kind of listen to them and maybe start off with, hey, write me like 800 to 1,000 words on this topic and do as much research as you can. This is the research I've already done as the SEO because you never want to just give your writer a topic and say, write about it. You want to give them an outline of what you're looking for from the SEO's perspective and then encourage them to do some research on their own. And if they come back to you and say, hey, most of the content I saw online around this topic is 2000 words. Like it's a very intense, like technical piece that Google is ranking. Um, mm-hmm. Listen to them and say, okay, let's rework this, rethink it, um, write some more content on it. Or maybe it's the opposite. They say, oh, I don't see a lot of content on that out there, maybe 500 words. And at that point you can be like, all right, then we can do better. We're going to write more than a thousand words or a thousand words and um, just get a better piece of content out there than that's already out there. So that dialogue is so important and couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I think you're spot on. So, all right, well, well, this has been awesome. And I, I, I want to thank you. You are uh, one of many Sterling sky dream team members who have come on the show. It's been really, it's been really generous with your time and, Again, another awesome guest. So one of the things I, I want to make sure I mentioned before we get off the air is Local U Dallas. I just got an announcement yes. that it will be, tickets are on sale now. Uh, it will be April 26th. We actually, we have an office in Plano, so I, I may be attending this one as well. Uh, tell our audience about the show. Where can, they, where can they go to get tickets? Who, who should they expect to see? Um, if they've never been to a Local U before, what, what happens there? Yeah, so Local U, this will be my second in-person Local U, and I'll actually be speaking at it. Um, So I'm so excited. It'll be my first in-person speaking event. Um, And you're just going to be learning from some of the industry's top um, local experts. I know Greg Gifford is going to be speaking. Um, I wish I had the list in front of me right now to know who else is going to be be there. He's a good buddy of mine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's going to be a ton. Aaron on um, Aaron Jones on the Sterling Sky team is going to be speaking, and I'm sorry, other speakers that I didn't uh, memorize your names yet, but I will. Um, it's just going to be a ton of great local content. I'll be talking about GBP, um, new things that we've learned um, recently at Sterling Sky. So we just try to get the most up to date information about local to the people that come to the conference. And one of my favorite parts about it is the networking. Like there is a networking event before the night before local you, and you just get to nerd out about local SEO to a bunch of people that like actually understand why you want to nerd out. Cause like, I'll talk to my friends and family about it and they're like, Oh, that's so great. Like, that's so cool. Google's interesting and hard. But like when you actually get to talk to people that like also work in the industry and work in different with different industries, 
Like I don't work with a lot of restaurants. I don't work with a lot of auto dealerships, but they have different features on GBP that I'm not aware of. So like being able to just kind of geek out about that stuff and like listen to other people's um, horror stories, their successes, that that's the most fun part for me. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think in-person events coming back are one of the best things that, um, it came out of 2022 and I'm really excited for it to happen in 2023. All right. I love it. Well, I can't let you go without asking for a recommendation. If, if I ever am visiting New Haven, Connecticut, let's rank them best pizza top three. What are, what are your top three rankings? So we got modern appease. So that's how you say pizza in New Haven appease. Um, it has an A at the end, but you don't say it. So we got modern appease in New Haven. We got zoo parties appease. That's in West Haven. So it's technically outside of New Haven, but I think that's top two, top one sometimes. Um, and then the one you visited, Mark, that you mentioned pre-recording, Sally's. Like it, it is a hole in the wall. They have no seating, so you got to wait outside, sometimes in the cold, but it, it honestly is really worth it. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. I've only been to, the only one I've been to is Sally's. Frank Pepe's is always mentioned too. It's probably like yeah. super good too, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. So That's top awesome. five. Well, you asked for top three, so I had to cut okay. them out. I, I, I appreciate you you cutting yeah. it down for, for us, but... No, this has been awesome. Elizabeth, if uh, people want to get in touch with you or anybody at Sterling Sky, how should they do that? What's your favorite social media? Yeah. People connect with you. So I forgot to mention, go to localu.org to get tickets to Local U. You asked where to get them, and now I'm mentioning that. Um, get in touch with me on Twitter at OwnYourSerp. Um, and then everyone at Sterling Sky, um, we all have emails, but check out sterlingsky.com. Um, we write tons of blogs. Joy's getting into videos now. Um, like I said earlier, the SERP's more visual and visual and Sterling Sky is uh, doing our best to get into part of that action. So check out our blogs, um, the video tutorials that'll be coming out. Um, and yeah, you can always find us too on the GBP community forum, forum. So if you have any issues with your Google business profile, post on there um, and hopefully a product expert can help you out. All right. Well, you have been a pleasure. Congratulations on the product expert uh, accreditation. And then also congratulations on that Twitter handle. That's outstanding. I'm going to give you a virtual cheers and we'll yeah, sign off for now. Uh, we'll be back next week with another The whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Well, enjoy the rest of your afternoon, Elizabeth. And uh, you. we'll see you at local U. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, you better come. Now, um, now I know you're close <laughs> enough.